Good morning. How's your morning been this morning? Is it better than when you came in the doors? I hope so. I am so thankful to be here this morning. This is the day that the Lord has made and we will what? Rejoice, Rejoice and be glad in it. And I'm so thankful. I'm, I'm very thankful that Beth is recovering. So Beth, we love you. We miss you. Paul, we miss you too, but we know that you are operating active in, in doing all the things that Beth needs you to do because you, that's the kind of guy you are. So, Paul, we miss you too. For Halloween, I, I thought about coming with a little short black wig and, you know, just kind of being Pastor Beth for you all for a few minutes, but... I was worried that Paul would get the wrong message, you know, and I didn't want him kind of upset at me, so, eh. so I passed on that. Last week, we heard a great message from Chris Larson on taming our tongue and the effects of words and the weight they carry. Their impact can be positive or negative, and it's to be considered and weighed. Flippancy with words should be guarded against. And hopefully throughout this past week, you were able to kind of practice some of those things as you thought about what you were saying in the moment. My dad, uh, when I was a kid, would always say, George, please, please engage your brain before you engage your mouth. So those, are, those were great wise words. And coincidentally, my dad's name was James. So how about that? How about that? So today we're going to continue in our series, James, Real Life, uh, Real Faith, yeah, I'm going to mess it up on, on the beginning, Real Faith in the Real World, and receive some additional practical wisdom from the book of James. So this morning we're going to be diving into chapter 4, but before we do, let's, let's kind of do a little recap of the context so that it can be fresh on our minds as we go forward. So this was a letter written by who? James, who was, yes, Jesus' half-brother, and he had a nickname, right? What was his nickname? Does anybody remember? Camel Knees, yes, thanks to Paul, not the Paul from the Bible, but Paul Graham for giving us that little bit of information, but Camel Knees, and why was he called Camel Knees? Because he was always on them praying, and I guess they had just really become nubby and knobby. Not like mine because they're just old. Um, so this letter was addressed to the 12 tribes who had been dispersed throughout the nations. So these were Jews who through oppression and you know, other things were cast out of their homes and left to live in other countries. And these were Christian Jews, those that had been touched by the message of Jesus. So he's writing to Christians. So he's essentially writing to us. We're in another, another nation. We haven't necessarily been cast out, but we're, we're away from where the audience of the intended were at. So this is for Christians, for us. This was a letter written to believers abroad. Typically when a letter was written by James or Paul or John, it was usually to address some things that had, had come to them, either by letter or request with questions or 
or it was brought to them through uh, hearing about the church and some of the issues that were going on. And so they would pen a letter and say, hey, I heard about this, so I'm sending you everything that you need to kind of help you where you're at. So here we are, a body of believers, and we're looking at this letter from James to get information, to get knowledge, to get the heart of God for us as, as a group of people who believe. So those letters addressed certain concerns, and, and they were letters to encourage, to correct, to direct. And here we are today in chapter 4 of this letter to the scattered church. So let's dive in. In James 4, 1 through 10, it says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. Hopefully you don't. But you covet, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and you fight and you do not have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity with, against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So as we read through this passage, you really get, you really get the feeling. It's, he's a little bit like a race car. He starts out a little bit moderately, and then... Boom, he gets up to speed and he gets, he gets very excited. Do any of you have passionate friends? I know, I mean, I get a little, I get a little bit passionate. <laughs> I, just a little, just a touch. But do, you have some, do you know someone who, who gets really amped up about something? Maybe they're really into the environment and, and climate change and, and how we need to take care of the world that God has blessed us with or, or they're passionate about, about animals and they almost talk, to, talk about them like, like they're people. Or you get them, whew, you get them talking about politics or, or social issues of our time and, and all of a sudden it's like you push the red button and it's whoo, words and words and words. Sometimes red-faced words. Sometimes a little fist-pounding. But it's great. It's great. I love passionate people. I would rather, I would rather someone be excited about something, be emotionally charged up about something, than go through their life just kind of bland and unemotional because then you don't know where they're really at right but when someone 
has passion, it means they really have something in their heart for that, that topic or that subject. Something's burning. So I love, love passionate people. And that's why I like James. James is very passionate. And he gets very passionate in this chapter. And, and he's been passionate all along, but, but he's getting to, to kind of that treasure, that pearl of what he's trying to say here. The things that underlie what he's been saying all along and how we're to live the way he's been urging us to live. The first section of, of chapter 4 is, is kind of a continuation of, of the chapter. Previously, uh, talking about the tongue and really of the whole opening of the book, all of our problems that we get into with our interpersonal relationships and with family and with coworkers and, and with people around us, they begin a lot of times with words, with our words. Chris spoke so well about this last week, how with the tongue we can lift others up or we can crush their spirits. Now James goes on, he goes on here to talk more specifically about conflict, fighting and quarreling. These are the effects of an unbridled tongue and where they might take us, right? An unbridled tongue usually takes us to this place of conflict. Verse 1 through 3 says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle where? Within you, within each one of us. We have these desires and a lot of times they can be in conflict with the people that we're in relationship with or they can be in conflict with God's desires. So you desire, but you do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight, and you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So he's hinting here at what we have said often already in James. This next slide says, your outer actions reveal something about what is going on inside. When the outside isn't right, it's an indication of an inner lack. What's inside of us ultimately finds a way to get out. And sometimes it's a little bit vicious. <laughs> Because it's been pounding at that door to get out for quite some time. You know, some of us are, are emotional suppressors. You know, we, we push stuff down and then something triggers it after months and months and months of being shut down. And it's a word volcano, isn't it? It spews and it gets on everybody and it does tremendous damage. Think about for a moment, what causes fights and quarrels in your life? You may be thinking things like, God, they're so unreasonable. Why are they so hot-headed? Why can't they think like me? <laughs> James says the root is desires that are battling within us. Think about that for a moment. Could it be that maybe we are a selfish people and anything that knocks Everything orbiting around planet me is a potential problem. Don't 
don't knock the stuff orbiting around planet me down. I'm important. I'm the center of the universe. Think about some of the arguments you've had in your marriages or your relationships. Some of them inevitably, after some thought and reflection, can seem rather silly, can't they? And sometimes you walk away going, wow, I can't believe we just argued about that. I can't believe that that carried so much weight. So when you Google the great place of research, when you Google stupid marital fights, this is what you get. Oh, my word. The great debate. Who's on the underside? Anyone? Raise your hands. Who's on the underside? Wow. Wow. Who's on the overside? Woo! There's a larger group here, so we're preparing for battle. We got two armies taking place here. But, you know, when I look at this, I've gotten to the age now where this, this is the bigger problem. <laughs> right? To me, this is a bigger problem than which way the role goes. I mean, that's a big problem. So what's, what would James say? You know, come on, James, what are you telling us? The great toilet paper debate. So back in, back in our early marriage, hello, Tricia. Everybody wave to Tricia. Hello. You know, sometimes we began to have some really excitable conversations. Very energetic. Okay, there were fights. <laughs> and over time, we began to hear ourselves in the moment. And one or the other would just kind of laugh a little bit, would, would kind of chuckle. Because they got the realization that we're really doing this? We are really going to do this on this topic. And it became kind of silly and sometimes it made the other person matter at first because like, why are you laughing? This is serious. This is important. <laughs> but eventually found that it was a check moment. We began to see the absurdity of what probably got us to where we were. And then we were able to really talk about why we got so triggered. And we were able to have it a conversation in a civil manner and work things out. And a lot of times, it was as simple as two selfish people at that time trying to get their own way. Wow. How simple it seems when you say it now, right? But in the heat of the moment, it doesn't seem so simple. So we don't even know what the particular fights and quarrels were that James was referring to. And it's probably better that way so that we don't have so many specifics because we can talk in general. And a lot of times, our fights and our struggles are because we're being a little bit selfish or our partner is being a little bit selfish at the, in the moment. And so it, it causes some strife. So it's not so much the content of the quarrel that matters. I think there's a slide for this. This is really good. It's not so much the content of the quarrel that matters or who was right or wrong but the selfish spirit 
the need to get our own way, the internal issue that James is addressing here. The greater point is that the state of our inner person is what causes fights and inner quarrels. That's, that's pretty true, right? That was actually written by Beth, so I can't take credit. That's pretty good. Good job, Beth. That was awesome right there. So the good, Luke 6, 45 puts it this way. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure in his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth will speak. And, he, and James goes on further to say this inner set of desires and motives is also why some of our prayers don't get answered. That's heavy. That's heavy because sometimes we can just start asking for stuff and not, not thinking about where our heart is in the moment. Are we asking for stuff just to have more stuff? Are we asking for stuff just to have an easier life? Are we asking to be removed from a situation that God is using actually to grow us up? And we're saying, God, take me out of it. And he's saying, no, I got so much for you. So we're, we're, we're asking for stuff out of wrong motives. So we need to check our heart because those things might be causing our prayers to just kind of land on the ceiling and just stay there. And we want our prayers to get to the very throne room of God, right? We want our prayers to be an incense into his nostrils. So we have to check our heart. James said, you do not have because you do not ask. That's important. How many times do we struggle with stuff and we try our own way to solve it when all we have to do is say, God, show me the way. God, can you help me? And then he, he says that we also sometimes ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So it's not saying here that it's wrong to pray for good things, that it's not wrong to desire a nice house so that your family can come and visit and that you can, you can have dinners with all your church friends and invite George and Tricia over to enjoy the great food that you might be preparing. I mean, you know, he's not saying don't do that. Those, those are okay. As long as our motives aren't out of whack. But the word that's translated desires or pleasures in this passage is the Greek word, hey, Dene. Hey, Don, hey. <laughs> hey, Dene. And as we see here, it, it means simply pleasure, but it often comes with the connotation of a sinful, decadent, self-indulgent pleasure. So it's a little bit different than, than having something that, that's good. It goes beyond that, and it crosses a line. All pleasure or desire is not wrong. We just have to check the motive. God wants us to pray for good motive things. My desire for someone to be healed is a good thing. My desire to pray along with a friend for a good job is a good thing. To be blessed in your finances when you're struggling, that's a good thing. So we need to pray for those things. But the problem, we cross the line when we pray for things that are self-indulgent, that are related to our needing to get our own way 
and it becomes a place for simple pleasures. So we're getting to the heart of the matter in this passage. We see a progression in this book of James. All along, he's been telling us the various ways in which our works and our outer behavior are not reflecting the reality of a true faith within. He starts with the theme of the book, not just listening to the word, but being what? Doers. Doers. Don't just hear stuff. Don't just fill up your head with lots of good sayings and a lot, of, a lot of good stuff. But when you hear God's heart, act on it. Do it. Serve. Love. Give. How we treat others with favoritism and how we discriminate against others. How we pass by people who are in need without actually helping. How we use our tongue to curse God's creation. God's people. Chapter 4 talks about us getting into fights and quarrels among ourselves. Being like the world. You know, one of the things that grieves me and I get passionate about is when things of the church mirror the things of the world. Right? It's like when, when, when divorce was a rampant thing, you know, a couple decades ago and People did studies, and the church was no different. The percentages in the church and outside the church were the same. And I thought, how are, how are we affecting our culture if we're reflecting the same thing? You know? I mean, there were as many secular organizations doing good things as there were churches doing good things. So... How are we being the light to the world if we look like the world? So about this time in this message, you're probably thinking, James, you're setting a pretty high bar. I'm kind of feeling doomed in this faith. And then there's a passionate accusation from James in verse 4 where he says, You adulterous people. You're like the bride who steps out with another man. Wow. Those are heavy words. But I mean, sometimes the church has one foot in the world and another foot inside the temple. And he's asked us not to live that way. He said, commit. He said, don't be lukewarm. I would rather you pick one or the other and be passionate about one or the other. Because if you're lukewarm, I just spew you out of my mouth. Wow. That's God sharing his heart. He'd rather us be one way or the other. And he desperately wants us to be a people passionate about him. You adulterous people. Friendship with the world is enmity against God. So right now, I mean, he's got us. It feels like we've been gut punched right here, right? Feels like he's just, ah. Uh, and we've seen it. We all love the movies. I mean, when in Endgame, when Thanos 
walks onto the field and, and he's strewn the mightiest heroes of earth all across this battlefield. They're beaten, they're broken, they're battered. Thanos stands over them, ready to snap half the world out of existence. And you're feeling like, oh my gosh, he took them all out? Thor, Captain America, Black Panther, they're all strewn across this battlefield. Or when Killmonger, who had trained all his life to be a killing machine because of vengeance in his heart, strolls into Wakanda and he challenges T'Challa and he says, I will be the new king of Wakanda. And he battles T'Challa and he jabs a spear into him and he picks up his body as all of Wakanda looks on in shock and he picks up his body and he carries him to the edge of the cliff and the waterfall and he just throws Black Panther over the edge. And we're all watching like, oh my God. On a hill, on a cross, a bloodied and beaten and disfigured Jesus hung on a cross and Satan and the minions of hell shook their fists at God and they said, look at your son, the son of God, the son of man. He's not even recognizable anymore. And all his disciples ran in fear, gut punched. But three days, three days, a stone was turned. And a savior stepped forth. Death cannot defeat. The enemy cannot win. James 4, 6, knowing that we've been gut punched, he puts this verse. But he gives us more grace. Woo! Hallelujah. We've been to the precipice. We've been thrown over the cliff. But God says, I have more grace. I have more. In Romans 8, 1, the apostle Paul says this, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is grace. Grace, yeah, grace upon grace. Thank you, Jesus. Because without it, Without it, we can become self-defeated people. Thank you, Lord. Don't you want this grace this morning? Don't you know that you need it every day, every hour? Left to our own devices, left to what comes naturally, we can never measure up. And James tells us how you and I may access this grace. Listen to this passage. Verses 6 through 10, it says, but he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to who? The humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. So in, in all these, all these negative-sounding words where he's saying, you double-minded, grieve, mourn, and wail. Wash your hands, you sinners. I mean, what he's, what he's given us a picture of there is of a people who are not walking fully in, on one side or the other. But he wants us walking on the side of purity. Double-minded means that we have that foot in the world and foot in, the, in our relationship with God. And God is a jealous God, and he won't have it both ways. It doesn't work. Our life lived that way comes with very little power. And like he mentioned before, our prayers just kind of hang and hover. So here's a question that we ask ourselves before God. God, am I proud or am I humble? Am I proud or am I humble? Am I selfish? Am I after my own desires? Or Lord, am I trying to align myself with you? We might think about how good we are and, and all the good stuff that we might do. And, and some of us might even think, well, other people can't understand all the tribulations I've had to walk through in my life. All the trouble that I've had. People can't understand that. They don't, all of that is pride. Whether you lift yourself up or throw yourself down to a point where you believe no one else can understand you. That it's yours and only yours to carry. It's all pride. And verse 6 says that God opposes the proud. Not just opposes. Opposes is a very direct term. It says he stands against us when we operate in that level of pride. And the antidote to pride, the only way around it, is humility. So God, uh, James... God, through James, gives us, I'm going to skip a bunch because I got a lot of words. <laughs> he gives us a passage to getting to this humility. He says, be small, draw near, resist the devil. There's a slide that talks about uh, John the Baptist. He says that I must decrease so that he can increase. I flipped it there because I feel like that was, that was John's heart. I have to decrease so that he can increase. Talking about Jesus. It's time to bow before the Lord, my Lord, your Lord, and say, my life is yours. My life is yours. Your way, all for Jesus. He made me and saved me, and I belong to him. Every one of us, I'm skipping a bunch, every one of us needs the cleansing power of Jesus Christ in our lives.
We need him. So we have to acknowledge that. Let's take all the things that we carry that are just baggage, that separate us from the love of God. Let's take those things and let's just drop them at the floor, at the altar of his grace and mercy. And, and let's, like Isaiah, ask for fire to come down from heaven and just consume that stuff. Consume it, Lord. Let's give it up. James says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. And that's our prayer this morning. Our cry today, let us draw near. Let us put ourselves in a position to get closer to God. I mean, what a morning it's been so far. I went into intercession, and it felt like I walked through a waterfall of, of grace and power and mercy and love. And the power of God was manifest in that little room. And there was only like three people in there praying, and it felt like the walls were shaking. And then worship just, man, they, they go to the forefront of the battle, and they just led us to the, to the very throne room of God. Thank you, Lord God, that you gave us that grace this morning to get there. Douglas Moo, in his commentary on James, he says this, God's gift of sustaining grace is enjoyed only by those willing to admit their need and accept it. So this morning, can you look past the garbage? Can you look past the stuff that might be in your heart? And can you say, God, I accept your grace. I accept your grace over my heart of anger. I accept your grace over my inability to speak when I see something that should be spoken against. God, I accept your grace for the times I miss you and walk on by. Father, I accept your grace. Father God, when I hear those voices in my head telling me that I'm not who you created me to be, and I listen to the enemy instead, I accept your grace, and I thank you, Jesus. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all, all our iniquity. Thank you, Jesus. Grace is meaningless if you never can acknowledge that you didn't deserve it. It's a free gift. And admitting our sins to one another and to God, that's the way that we get real. That is the way that we humble ourselves. Be small. Draw near. Fight the devil. He will flee. James ends this section where he started with humility. 
He says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. James 4.10. He will lift you up. You will be lifted up by his grace, by his love, by his mercy. You will be encouraged even if you've been left battered and bruised by the side of the road and left for dead. And that's how you feel this morning. He says, I will lift you up. I will bring the healing that you need. So this morning as we sing this last song and, and we get back into his presence, I mean, really pour that, pour the things that are in your heart out to him because his grace is sufficient. There is nothing that we carry that is above and beyond the power of our God to touch. Yes. He is a living God and loves us and cares for us and wants to see us lifted up. So Lord, we just thank you for this time and we pray, Father God, that you would just move in power right now as we worship, as we sing this last song, Father. Let your spirit come. Let your will be done. In your name we pray. Amen.